Over the years, we here at The Flicks have done many special shows. However, this is, for one of our team, in the stratosphere. Now, regular listeners to this podcast will know how much of a fan our Graham is of The Mel. Since the beginning, he's been asking for a recurring slot to talk about his hero. He wanted to call it At The Flicks Becomes a Lethal Weapon. I just like that idea. Oh, Naturally, and for the sake of our listeners, I said no. Then the petition started, many from Graham's own families, using names like Martin Riggs, Brett Maverick, William Wallace, or more slyly, Fletcher Christian and Hamlet. Even listener Frank joined in saying he looked like Mel Gibson from a distance, without saying how far that distance was. Well, I'm sorry to say I've been worn down by these relentless requests. However, to make the best of it, we've created Mel Day, where we would watch, for the first time, two of Mel's latest movies, so we can talk about the day and especially the films. Here to keep a balance of Graham's often incoherent adoration of the Mel is someone far more level-headed. I'm very pleased to say Niall from Movies in Focus has joined us. Hi, Niall. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, thank you for having me to uh, talk about Graham's favourite actor, Mel Gibson. Yeah, yeah. I'm just sorry you couldn't make it over for Mel Day. I feel even sadder that I couldn't make it. <laughs> Dear. This is not going well for me to start with, I can tell you. Is there anything you wanted to say about your hero before we start, Graham? No. Okay. So before I reveal to you, the listeners, the first of our two films we watched, let me talk you through the start of Mel Day. Graham, as you can imagine, was beside himself with excitement. I told him he had to make sure he had plenty of sleep the night before as I didn't want someone of his advancing years losing necessary energy halfway through the day. Cheeky sod. Film one, which we're going to talk about in a minute, was scheduled to start at 10 a.m. So imagine my surprise to hear the door knock just after 7 a.m. Opening the door, <laughs> there was Graham in his I Love Mel t-shirt and a grin that went from ear to ear. I haven't seen him that happy since Brexit. A few hours later, along with multiple cups of tea and the Lethal Weapon soundtrack being played on repeat, we were calm and ready for film one, which was the 2020 feature Force of Nature. Now, before we start giving our views on the film, let me give you a brief synopsis, as it isn't the easiest film to find in the UK. A massive hurricane is heading towards Puerto Rico. Global warming reference there, the Melbian climate aware. Disgraced police officer Cardillo, played by Emile Hirsch, and his partner Jess Penner, played by Stephanie Cavo, have to go and make people leave an apartment block which is soon to get the full force of the storm. What they find is a motley collection of people, many of whom refuse to leave. There is Griffin, who keeps a very strange pet in his apartment, and trust me, we'll be coming back to that in a minute. Bergkamp, a reclusive German who has many secrets he would rather not leave behind, and Ray a retired, crusty ex-policeman who has been looked after by his daughter, Troy, played by Kate Bosworth. Ray, the gruff and tough ex-law enforcement, is of course played by the Mel. Now, unknown to everybody, a gang of criminals are en route to the building to steal some of Bergkamp's secrets. Soon the battle lines are drawn and the two police officers need all the help they can get, including invaluable support from the retired cop. We're evacuating the building! Oh, thank 
God, I need your help. I'm staying here. I'm not leaving. It's a Category 5 hurricane going on outside. You forgot about that. I think it's a 5 already? There is a storm right now, 160 miles per hour. To perhaps devastate Puerto Rico. If your dad doesn't want to leave, I can't force him. Help me get him out of this building. Policia! Take it easy! Take it easy! Now, it sounds exciting, but is it? So I'm going to start with a sober look at Force of Nature, and I'll put Graham to one side. Niall, what did you think of Force of Nature? Well, I'm going to guess that I had a, a different view from Graham. I really enjoyed <laughs> Force of Nature. It was a, a pulpy B-movie, sort of straight-to-streaming thing. And when you've watched enough of those, as I have, usually starring, unfortunately, Bruce Willis, which is a whole other, a whole other conversation... <laughs> Well, yeah. Very sad conversation. Really. Yeah, yes. I thought it was very well put together. I thought the atmosphere is great with the the kind of the downpour of the rain. The action sequences were well done. I'm no fan of Emil Hirsch, but I thought he was very good. I thought the actress who played his partner, which is Stephanie Kyle. Stephanie Cavo. Cavo. Yeah. I thought yeah. she was very good. Mm. So, and I thought Mel Gibson. Considering it was a supporting role, he's obviously just taking the paycheck and kind of doing a bit of action stuff in there. I thought he was very good, and he sort of committed to what was effectively uh, an enjoyable B-movie. Yeah, he doesn't appear till 30 minutes in, and I think the setup of the film is really good. I like the fact that you you had the storm coming in, so you knew about that. You had that crime element going on in the background, and you didn't know how that was going to link in. You had Emile Hirsch's backstory where he's accidentally shot somebody and that story that plays through. I mean, I would have paced that throughout the film rather than showed it all at once. Yeah. But that aside, you know, the opening was great. I, I thought Mel Gibson was tremendous. Uh, and I think Graham is going to say it in a minute, but I'll steal it first. He was the best thing in the film. His sort of crusty, no-nonsense cop who would never take orders from a woman, uh, as uh, I think his daughter says at one point in the film. It's just great, fun character. Really loved the beginning. I'll talk more about what happens later and my thoughts there in a moment. But, Graham, you're chomping at the bit here. Dear old Lord, you guys are unbelievable. Yeah, I completely agree. It's definitely a B-movie. I thought Emil Hirsch and I also thought Kay Bosworth, actors who showed great promise around about 2006, 2007, were very poor. And... Even though it hurts me to say it, in reality, I thought uh, Mel was the best thing in it. I mean, he delivered a performance, and I thought he was streets ahead of everybody else in it. As Jeff said, I liked the setup. I thought that was really good, but I thought the dialogue was terrible. It was definitely B-movie dialogue, and they kept telling us things we already knew, just in case we'd lost the plot. And the intimate moments between Hirsch and Bosworth and the other actress as well, Stephanie Sa- Police officer. Police officer. The other yeah. police officer. I thought they were very forced, and, and I just thought the dialogue was very, very bad. I disagree with you on that. I thought, I mean, Emil Hirsch and Kate Bosworth started out, as you say, you know, things like Into the Wild or Superman Returns, and they showed huge promise, which never got realised over the years. So they give competent performances and you know you look at loads of those b movies which niall you were saying about you know the performances are usually shocking but i thought their performances they were okay it's just that 
Mel Gibson, and even though he's only in it for what twenty minutes, Something really like all that. told throughout the yeah. thing, he just had great fun with this part. He fully committed to it. I mean, he and we said at the time when we were watching, he gave a performance, and I think that's important. He was really into it, and this grouchy old cop, and you knew exactly what he was going to do in most situations because you know he's a grumpy cop. He needs to get more weapons. He's, he'll work hard to, to to save people's lives. And he was great at that. The other two, I just thought they just followed the plot. But it's a B-movie. You're right. It's a B-movie. Don't but expect too much. I think the reason is if you, you look at the other two actors or the rest of the cast, Mel Gibson is a movie star. And he has charisma yeah. to burn. So yeah. even yeah. with a crappy script, he can turn it into something. Whereas if you don't have that charisma, you can't really turn leaden dialogue into something that sparkles which gibson can yes yeah 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 and and i'll go back to you know, saying about bruce willis and we know willis now yeah. you know it's come to like why he's been doing these films but he was never really trying he would come on he would do his performance and take the money with mel gibson he comes on and you see he's really trying it doesn't matter what the film is he's taking the money and he wants to give the best performance that he can, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was very noticeable. I hadn't noticed that about Gibson in a lot of other films that he's done recently. But uh, as you say, against these other actors, and that I like that remark, leaden script. It's de- it was definitely leaden. He just seemed to sparkle. He just really did seem to come alight. And he had that sort of look in his eye, half crazy, half driven with what he wanted to do. Very, very good performance. The director, is it Michael Polish? Yeah. Polish. Polish. Yeah. There's a lot of polish on this film, I can well, tell you. Yeah, he made a film a few years ago called The Astronaut Farmer. With, with Bruce Willis, um, who pops up in it, doesn't he? Yes, that's right, in a small role. Yeah, but that's a great little film. So he's capable of doing this. And what I'm amazed at, this film apparently had a $23 million budget. And I'd like to know where it went. Mel Gibson. Because the CGI. No, Mel I Gibson, think it was the yeah, CGI. Yeah. Well, you say that. So you take a film, another film Graham hates, Equalizer 2. So at the end of Equalizer 2, the big climax of that, it's in a storm where all, you know, where these houses are and everything's getting wrecked. Now that, to me, was a storm. This seemed to be like a heavy rain. And trust me, I grew up in Wales. I know what a heavy rain is like. But it needed, I think, for the climax, something like what was happening at the end of Equalizer 2. What do you think to that, Ma? Well... I've not seen Equalizer 2, unfortunately, as much as I want to. I haven't seen any of the Equalizer films, but I really want to give them a go because obviously Denzel Washington and uh, Antoine Fuqua make a good sort of combination. They do. do. Um, The budget on this was limited. The guy who produces these, Randall Emmett, I I don't know if you've ever Googled him or you've read a bit about him. He produced a lot of those Bruce Willis movies. And... He does them really, really cheap. There's articles written about him about how he does it, and allegedly, <laughs> just to cover myself, <laughs> some of it can be, from what I've read, some of it can be quite shady, and it's sort of the, the, the structure of the money and everything coming in. And I, I know as far as Bruce Willis goes, Willis was getting a million a day for Holy cow. And they would have sort of, they, they would shoot these, and I think Force of Nature is no different. They shoot them in like 15 days. So the, right. the whole film from beginning to end is shot within 15 days. And with Willis, they'll do like one, two, 
probably three days at the most because he's paid by the day. You, you have any longer than that, and you've got to pay him the, the same again. An so extra million, wow. They slashed the budget and the shooting schedule to accommodate where the money's going. So I would say that $23 million was not spent on force of nature. I would say generously $10 million less, if not less than that, depending on how much. No, I would agree. I, I, yeah, I, I would agree with that. That's interesting because, you know, the million a day was what caused his departure from Expendables 3, where yeah. Harrison Ford came in because he wouldn't take anything less than that. Yeah, he wouldn't do uh, three million for four days. Yeah, that's right. That... Yeah, yeah. And now it becomes clear as to why that was the case. Yeah. The final thing on the budget I want to talk about. So all through the film, you were led to believe there was some sort of jungle cat being kept in this room. And when eventually they opened it, they threw a stuffed toy at the guy that opened the door and cut away quickly. I mean, I don't know if you remember that sequence. I was just, yeah. my jaw hit the floor. I was expecting something dramatic, but no, it was a stuffed toy thrown at the, the guy that <laughs> opened the door who'd been conned into wearing a police uniform. It's stuff like that. You do wonder, it's in the script, and they know their limitations of a budget. And do they not go, can we not come up with something else? Has the guy not got the door set to explode once somebody opens it or whatever it might be? Yeah. You yeah. just think, yeah. Why would you go there? Or even do it as a POV. So you don't see the animal. You see the animal yeah. leap at the guy and cut yeah. it that way. You know, yeah. that would have been another way around it. Yeah. But again, yeah, I mean, we we spoke with the director, but Corey M. Miller, I mean, I think it was his first script as well. So he put it together. But I think the elements in the beginning were good. The setup was great. I thought the setup yeah. was great. Yeah, the first half was, was, was really good. I clearly haven't seen as many B-films as you know. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Once you see enough, you kind of realise that this is a really good one. And I sort of grade them on what they are. You know, not against... I'm not grading this against Lethal Weapon. You know, I'm grading it against... No, okay. Yeah. You know, whatever Bruce Willis one I'd seen the week before or whatever it might be. So it's... I think the, the tricky movies to kind of judge their entire existence, I, I, I know they're kind of created for foreign markets and that people see a name like Mel Gibson or Bruce Willis or Nicolas Cage and go, oh, well, rent this, you know, or men of a certain age. And <laughs> even people who aren't into films must know that that's no lethal weapon or whatever Bruce Willis in is, is no die hard. I've kept going back, unfortunately. You know, once once you're down that rabbit hole, you have to you hope that somebody's going to do a good one. And I think this was a good one. You know, I think right. from you. a DVD streaming standpoint, it's a four star movie. Probably any other standpoint, maybe two and a half, three. Yeah, you know, but yeah. It, it it delivers what I think you expect going in. Yeah, did you beat his ass, Dad? You know what? Did you beat his ass? Back in my day, we had this moron called Willie Bosket. He used to call a station house, report a rape or a robbery. We'd all rush down there. The guy would be on the roof of the BB gun sniping us. About the third time around, we caught him and broke a few fingers. Nice, Dad. That's real nice. I just want to go back to the two stars for a moment. I mean, Emil Hirsch, you know, he had that huge acclaim when he made Into the Wild. And then his career just seems to spiral down after that. Again, I I liked him in this, and and we're going to talk about Kate Bosworth as well. I liked her as well, 
but I just don't understand how their careers spiral so badly. Well, Hirsch was in Speed Racer, wasn't he? Which were the Yes, Sharks, he was. Which yeah. was a disaster sort of financially. And, I like that, though. And I think... The colouring on that was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. was a... Again, I don't know if it was a very good film, but it was obviously spectacular for for what it was. But I think he was arrested or filmed or something attacking a female producer at, like, Sundance or a festival. Whoops. Oh, um, right, that sums it up then. Yeah, we know I, where I, we are. And I think that sort of potentially sidetracked his career. But having said that, he's best buds with DiCaprio. You know, he's he's part of the oh. uh, the gang, him and kind of Tobey Maguire. So, yeah, he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as well. Yeah. Oh, was he? Yeah, just looking at his um, resume now. He plays... I didn't realise he'd done that. He plays the hairdresser or something, does he? Or... Jay Sebring. I can't remember it in the film, to be quite honest, but yeah, he was in it. It it may well be that uh, role. I did watch him as Clyde Barrow in Bonnie and Clyde, the TV miniseries, because it had uh, Holiday Granger in that. I remember Uh, that coming uh, out. Is that any good? It's not a patch on the um, the Arthur Penn movie from 67. Yeah, it it tried to expand the role, but I just didn't think it, it, it did enough, you know. I mean, she was good, and I think that's another reason why it might have been overshadowed. So Kate Bosworth, and again, I thought she was really good as Lois Lane. Superman Returns, yeah, Yeah. 2006, wasn't that? Yeah. And I thought she was really good. She she had a lot of force in this film. You you could see that she was playing off Mel Gibson's performance as well. And her husband directed it, I think, is it Michael Polish? He was married to her, or they were going out at the time, I believe. Oh, is that right? Ah. Hey. She's, uh, okay. Hey, this is why we need you, Niall. You know all these things we <laughs> <Well>. don't. <laughs> Useless trivia. They married in 2013. I didn't realize that. Yeah, they're separated now. Yeah, maybe it was over this film. Um, <laughs> again, I remember an SSGB when that was on the TV, the Len Dayton series. And she was also What's in to her? Yeah. Wonderland with Mel, uh, not Mel, uh, Val Kilmer, sort of probably. Oh, yeah. Didn't he play Johnny Holmes in that? He did, John yeah. Holmes. But Wonderland is an underrated movie as well. That's sort of one that came yes, and went. it is, yeah. Kind yeah. of. Yeah, amongst... no, I, I have seen Wonderland. Yeah, yeah me too. Good. It's yeah. good. I did enjoy it. As I said, I think the payoff wasn't as good as the setup, but I think it's it's a great film. Mel Gibson was superb. Best thing in this film. Yeah, I'd agree with that, but 100%. Okay. So can I just say that the highlight of the film for me was Jeff cooked lunch. I was just about to talk about that, but carry on. <laughs> and all I can say is if the plot of this film had been as sizzling as the spicy chicken main course or the characters as cool as the frozen berry dessert, then this would have been a half-decent movie. Instead, we had a dog's dinner of a movie where the best thing was the Mel's 26-minute performance, which, just like the lunch beer, was sharp, refreshing, and full-bodied. Thanks, Jeff. Although, if Mel had been with us, we would not have offered him a beer. <laughs> no, no, he didn't get a bit leery. So, Graham had been fed, had some drink. He was relaxed and looking forward to the second film of Mel Day. And film two is Panama. So, a bit of background on this. Panama 1989. The American policy at the time was to supply arms to the Contra rebels in South America. And that was starting to fall apart. Tough military leader Stark, the Mel, of course, who presents here the type of no-nonsense hero 
Graham has known and loved for decades, <laughs> needs someone he can trust to conduct an arms deal in Panama. Grieving, tough ex-Marine James Becker, played by Cole Hauser, him of Hearts War and Olympus Has Fallen, is assigned that mission by Stark. Becker realises very quickly that there is no one he can trust in Panama, not even the CIA. Can he complete the mission before Panama falls into chaos? And is the Mel there to help him? Now, the film is set just prior to the American invasion of Panama in 1989, when the Americans disposed and arrested Panamanian leader General Manuel Noriega, who, it turned out, was a CIA asset for a time. Let me tell you, there's nothing more rock and roll than taking out the bad guys for the red, white, and blue. Panama's about to explode. Welcome to the jungle! This is where I come in to clean it up. Last time you were in the field. A long time ago. I'm rusty. Make sure you hit him in the head. Politics and action sounds like a great combination. Nile, over to you again. What are your thoughts on this one? I think if we're judging force of nature by the kind of the high benchmark, I'd say Panama isn't as successful. Again, Mel Gibson's the best thing in it. Yeah, and yeah I'd agree again. Yeah. <laughs> I think he does good voiceover narration. I mean, he's got a great voice for voiceover. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and again, it, it makes it sound like he's dedicated to the performance you know it's not just he's come in shot three days in costa rica wherever it was and then shot back out again he's obviously went into the the recording studio and and put down dialogue so i think again he anchors the movie full disclosure i once the movie came out in america i interviewed mark nevildine about it okay um by, by email because he'd somehow injured his voice so it was sort of an email interview I think it was good, but it wasn't great. I think it was, it's, it felt cheaper than Force of Nature. Yes. Um, and it, it was a bit sleazier than Force of Nature. There's certainly a lot of topless women wandering yes, around, exactly. it must be said. Which wasn't necessary. You know, it, it was very much no. like an 80s throwback. Yes, um, that's exactly what we said when we were watching it. Are we in the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> really, it was I, very much like that. What puts me off about these modern movies, which feel like 80s throwbacks, in the 80s they were shot on film, so they actually looked like film. Once you have something that's shot on digital, I often find, firstly, it looks cheaper, but secondly, it once you have something that's sleazy like that, it feels sleazier and cheaper. You know, it's sort of... yes. Yeah. Which kind of makes you feel uncomfortable. There is a lot of voyeuristic elements in this. And they, I, yeah, and Jeff and I were going, yeah, this is, this is not great. They're putting these women in here just to f- appeal to a certain audience. And as you said, most of these will end up in Asia. And I think it was for that, for that audience that they were putting in these, uh, these women. Where can listeners find that interview? That, oh, that you did with that director? It's on uh, moviesandfocus.com. If you just go into the, the interview section. It'll be lurking around there somewhere. Because he's quite quite a good action director. He did um, uh, with uh, Jason Stratham, didn't he? He did Crank and Crank 2, didn't he? He did. And yeah. and some of it was quite kinetic. I, I think there was a, a, mm. an interesting chase sequence through the jungle or yes. something, you know, which was, was quite well done. 
so that you could tell. But again, it was one of these films I think was shot in 15 days. How do you make a film in 15 days with, yeah. you know, a, a couple of big stars? I mean, Cole Hauser's now sort of a, a big star from uh, Yellowstone. He's got a yes. big part in that. Cole Hauser also is like the great, great grandson of one of the original Warner Brothers. Wow. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, and the only reason I have years ago, I ended up somehow in email contact with Cole Hauser's mother, <laughs> which isn't as weird as it sounds. Yeah, that's very weird. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to explain that one. Talk your way out of that one. <laughs> I think she was looking to remake or sequelize Casablanca or, or, or something along wow, the line. Wow, no, there's an idea. Yeah. And she has a production company called Warner Sisters, presumably with her huh? sister, I would think. And so I... I discovered her email online and emailed her off and tell me about this. So I ended up and she's got sort of Irish family and was talking, sort of oh. emailed back and forth a bit about that. I've kind of known Cole Hodge's mother in a weird professional capacity. <laughs> Professionally, he slips in very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Cole, Cole Hauser, though, in this just reminded me of Steven Seagal. Yeah. He had that look and that weight about him. I mean, don't get me wrong, Cole House is a lot better than Steven Seagal. I know if I had a choice between one of the two of them to spend some time and have a beer with, it wouldn't be Steven. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just thought he played it as a force. He, uh, Gibson was playing it much more fun. I mean, some of the dialogue he was coming up with at the beginning was just awful. But he did it in such a convincing way. Yeah. Yes. It goes back to movie stars and people who aren't movie stars that they can pull off dialogue that isn't necessarily good and sell it in a a fun way or a charismatic way. Whereas if you're not that good an actor or you don't have a certain capacity to do that, it just sounds terrible. I mean, his opening dialogue, it was very, very wordy. But it just seemed to flow from him. And I thought, well, he's the only person in this crew who could deliver that because nobody else could have. Even though the dialogue was, was nonsense, it just seemed to flow right. And you went with it because he had such. And again, it's come, we come back to this thing about commitment and it's a performance, not just reading lines. And he was giving a proper vocal performance across the, the front of the movie. And I just thought it was great. I did not like Cole Hauser at all. That role was offered to Frank Grillo, uh, the the role in Panama. Yeah, and, he and turned Morgan it, Freeman had the um, Mel Gibson part. Right, yeah. And, I, and that really annoyed me during the film because I thought, yeah, Grillo would have been so much better at this. I think uh, Hauser, he's meant to be this sort of action hero. He needed another six months in the gym. I thought that there's know. a chase sequence where he's running after someone. Yes. And yeah. it, they cut it very judiciously <laughs> to make yeah, him yeah. not look yeah. like he's not running more than three steps you know exactly yeah. that could have and, given him a heart attack yeah and i thought he looked less like chris hemsworth and, and more like paddington bear at some points because he just he just did not seem in shape for the role no i mean here he's meant to be a crack cia guy going down to panama to pull off this purchase of a russian helicopter and i just could not believe in him you know i thought Frank Grillo, yeah, you you could see him doing that. Yeah, I think he was too old. And even I think Frank 
Grillo would have been too old because you imagine the character being in his 30s and yes. yeah. sort of pushing 50 himself if he isn't already there, you know, to have the Gibson character as a father figure, whereas... It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> yes, that's work. a good point. I hadn't picked that up yet. How yeah. old is he? When did he? Yeah. So yeah. interestingly, Emil Hirsch would have been quite intriguing in that part. Yeah, which would have worked better. I think so. I think so. My big problem with this film is the script didn't hang together. No. And I really struggled following the whole thing through. I love films like Salvador or American yes. Made, the Tom Cruise film, that deal with this subject matter and they go into the murkiness of it. You know, the, you start off with a small thread and everything unravels around you as you go. That's what I think this film was trying to be. But it, the script just didn't hold together. No, there was no complexity to it. It was really exactly. gone down and by a helicopter and the guy goes, I'm not selling you a helicopter. And it was like, yeah. I need a helicopter. Yeah. And that was pretty much the plot. You know, and Mel Gibson goes, yes. yes, we need a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then you've got scenes in it that work, like, you know, when the, the drug dealer's killed, the, yes. the guy who almost like is his stepfather and the, and the manner of that death. And I thought... This could play like something out of, say, Donnie Brasco, yeah. you know, with that level of pathos. But because nothing around it works, it's just in isolation. Yeah. Yes. It didn't have the emotional resonance it should have had. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. You're, you're right. Frank Grillo's 56. He'd have been way too old yeah, as well. Still, still hasn't got an ounce of fat on his body, though, that guy. No. He's, yes, I no, think he just works out and makes movies. That's pretty much, I think, Frank Grillo's. Yeah. yeah. When you make movies as good as Boss Level, you carry on. Boss Level was great. Boss Level yeah. was great. You've seen Boss Level, have you? I have another Mel Gibson film. Uh, I think that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, Tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. In fact, in our awards show this year, because our first award is always for the best Mel Gibson film of the year, which Graham insists upon, the award was yeah, given right. to Boss Level as yeah. the best Mel Gibson film of last year. <laughs> Great film. Really good. Yeah, no, well done. Yes, I think. <laughs> but again, yeah, and I think what annoys me here is, so you've got Mel Gibson giving a performance and really spouting crap dialogue that it mean, like it means something. Yes. You've got a script that doesn't hold together, but the production values are quite high. You know, it looks glossy. It looks really good. And I'm interested on this take that you were both saying about this throwback to an 80s action movie, but trying also to add the layers of a Salvador or American made to it. So it was trying for something, and it just makes it worse that it never got there. Yeah, I, th I think Mark Neveldine obviously had a, a bigger movie in his head. He was trying to work within a ridiculous budget and probably a 15-day shooting and something had to give, and I'm afraid it was the probably the script and the plotting, and because the plotting is all over the place, you know. And and that script had been around for a couple of years. Really? Was, uh, yeah, Daniel Adams, who was originally going to direct, was working on it with uh, a chap called William Barber, and that was about four or five years before. And this is where Morgan Freeman, Nicholas Cage, Frank Grillo, all those names came into it. And that never came off. So it looks like it just sat there for a while. So you'd, you'd have thought if it was a passion project it would hold together better than it does. Is it not this producer guy you were talking about who just picks up these 
items and then just tries to make them? I'm literally just going through the producer credits as we speak, and I cannot see them there. So no, it's Panama seems to have about 30 producers. Ah, right, okay. In fact, Jeff, you noticed that at the start, because you said in my notes I had two and a half minutes of companies at the start of the film with all the various production companies, yeah. Pet hate at the start of a film now, you know, when they come up by this company made it, then it goes to another company that made it. And, in fact, there were two and a half, the first two and a half minutes of credits were all the companies that had a hand in this. And you've never heard of any of them? Yeah. No, 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 no. And, you know, the more crap the company, the better the production value on their logo is. Yes. Yeah. I think there's like 33 producers on that movie. I've just done a quick one. <gasps> oh, yeah. yeah. Yikes. Well, that explains a lot. Uh, so that was Panama. So really, we'd pass the best by the morning. But again, we have to say that Mel Gibson was the best thing in it. Yeah, yeah, he was by far, by far. And there was one scene where he's he's sat at a coffee table. I think he's in Panama, and he's they're setting up a a sort of a switch, a switcheroo, and somebody's going to get shot or something. And all of that was him really laying down a solid action role. And I just thought, and where are the rest of the team? And they were just reading dialogue. They were just saying lines. Well, Gibson was totally committed to what he was doing. It was just such a striking moment to see, okay, this guy was an A-lister, and that's why. Panama's about to explode. I wouldn't be surprised if we invade the way things are going. Well, I hope you let me know if they start dropping bombs down here. Yeah, I'll give you a heads up on that one. Listen, Becker, the favor you asked of the DEA, I get it. But stand down. Enrique will be dealt with. Stark, there's good people down here that need that chopper. Yeah, I know, I know. And we'll help them when we can, but now is not the time. A couple of days after this, I was able to get to see Father Stew. There's a film which, again, shows that, you know, the star that Mel Gibson can be. This is a passion project for Mark Wahlberg, put a lot of his money in. I think um, Mel Gibson's current partner is the writer-director. And you've got Mel Gibson as well. Now, I know you guys haven't seen this yet, so I'm not going to go into detail because I think it's a film that you really need to see known as little as possible. What I would say is, and what I liked is, you get films like The Shack with Sam Worthington that are these you know, modern-day religious films that God told me to do this and all this sort of stuff. Whereas this, to me, plays like something like the old films Boys Town or Going My Way, the Bing Crosby film that sort of narrative structure. It's a very strong narrative-driven film. I thought it was really good. Very, very well acted. Mel Gibson easily stole the film. I think he stole the film, uh, and you notice I'm not saying a word on plot here. He stole the film because his performance is, he's, again, this crusty guy. There are things in his past that, as the film goes on, you get to learn about. So he's sarcastic, he's angry. But look at his eyes as he's acting, and you can see the pain. Everything that's going to be revealed to you later in the film, the pain is in his eyes there. So it, it, he's playing his performance on two levels, and that's a real skill. It's a film that's almost disappeared from view with us now. I mean, it, it's lasted a week, and, and it's gone. 
but it deserves a lot more than that. Uh, I think it's a, it's a tremendous little film. And see it with knowing as little about it as you can, because I think it really pays off in that way. Well, Jeff, you've, you've touched on something there, which is one of my one of the reasons I, I'm a big Mel Gibson fan. It's it's the acting that he can do with his eyes. I think yes. he can get a tremendous amount by saying very little and just emoting through his eyes, which I think is a massive skill that not a lot a lot of actors can do. There's, there's no. a great scene. I think it's after the Battle of. Sterling and Braveheart, where he kind of realizes he's been screwed over by Robert the Bruce, and he sort of yeah. he just kind of <laughs> looks at him. And I mean, and that's the scene, you know, basically. And he can do that, you know, in an instant, which I don't think going back to your Emil Hirsch's or anyone else, I don't, or your Cole Hauser's, they can't do that. He can just pull that off no. and sell it. But it's perfected to such a way in Father Stu that he can say really abrasive and, and foul dialogue. Funny enough, that's why a lot of religious communities in America don't like the film because there's a hell of a lot of swearing in it. But that was, you know, the the real Stuart Long. He was like that. There's that and this anger. And, and some of his one-liners, Gibson's one-liners, are so cutting, so almost nasty. You hear what he's saying, but you look at his eyes and it's he's, it's just covering up that pain that's there. Tremendous, absolutely tremendous. So have I sold that one to you then now? You have. Do you know what? I, I really want to see it. And again, it's one of those things that sort of is played once a day at any local cinema. And yes. yeah. you've got to be there at the right time. Or I try and get to go to the movies on a matinee on a, a Saturday or Sunday. And when it's eight o'clock at night, you can, oh, and it's only one screening. Where's your commitment, man? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, see, we're retired. We can able to sneak in at the the, the, the two o'clock performance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that, any day of the week. Yeah, but the, that's the thing with, with cinema, which I think we talked last time we spoke. The the last jewel, you know, the, these films are being shown once a night. Yeah, and they then go, well, there's no audience for them. It's like, well, you have to be there. It, of course. It's dirty, knowing that it's a three hour movie that's going to start at nine. Yeah. You know, they're killing these small movies or these these adult yeah. dramas because of that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you would think they'd be promoting them because this summer is there's not a great deal of new films coming out this summer if you look at it. Yeah, we do four reviews a month, so we pick four films, and we're, well, I pick them and tell them what they're reviewing. Actually, now let's see the truth of it. But I'm struggling really struggling to find four films a month yeah and 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 this is the middle of the summer i should be throwing major films out because we've got so much stuff to look at yeah well that's it's just not happening you know because no one if they've got a big movie the studios go well we need two weeks you know to give it a break these movies big marvel movies which just suck all the air out of of anything coming out, and even counter programming doesn't work anymore the days of you know where you, you opened up star wars the phantom menace and you'd Notting Hill open the same weekend. That doesn't even happen anymore because no one wants to go see Notting Hill. There was somebody published an advert recently back from 1975. Jaws had been out a couple of weeks, so and it showed the cinema range in this area of America and all the films that you could see at that point. So you had a huge choice of movies. And they showed the same area when Doctor Strange opened. And that pretty much was it. If you didn't yeah. want to see Doctor Strange, you nothing to go yeah. see in the cinema. Yeah, screwed. But that's, yeah. yeah. And you think back, I mean, I randomly picked 1998 out of the air where you had the Truman Show, but you had Armageddon, 
you had Lethal Weapon yep. 4, you had Saving Private Ryan. That's five movies over the course of three Titanic months. Titanic as well, throughout yeah. most of that. You know, and all these huge movies that all made a lot of money. But now if they don't make mm. a billion, they're seen as a disappointment. You know, <laughs> that, that, that's, that's so true. You know, that's so the, true. The day Saving Private Ryan opened, that very same day, the other film that opened was uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. So there you've got this, you know, two great movies opening the same day. It would never happen now. No. Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. I went into that completely blind. Did not know what it was going to be about. I just had lots of recommendations on it. I just went to see it and I could not believe how good it was. I was just absolutely blown away. Today, To this day, it's still in my sort of top 20 movies. And Guy Ritchie's still remaking it. So it's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, every yeah, six months, a, regulars made, made a career out of that. <laughs> Although so, I did enjoy the gentleman. I've not, I've not yeah. seen that one. I, I enjoyed um, the Man of Wrath. Is that the the last Statham one? Oh, right, um, yes, that's on Prime, isn't it? Yeah, Wrath of Man. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. All right, okay, I'll, I'll put that on the list. Yeah, I've seen the trailer. The other. Yeah, there's a weird decision that he makes to kind of leave Statham out of the last 20-minute action sequence for most of it, which is kind of nonsensical, but there must be a reason for that. I don't know. Uh, like he married Madonna. He can't have every all his faculties, right? No. Um, <laughs> so that was Mel Day. So Force of Nature and Panama, good B-movies, well worth checking out for the Mel. And I know, and I can share with you listeners, Graham went off to sleep that night very soundly, clutching his Mel teddy bear. <laughs> the next day, he phoned me and said he had a dream that Mel Day 2 would be even better. So, lads, oh, no. are you up for that when we find the right films? <laughs> are you going to be cooking again, Jeff? I'll cook again. I'll find, hey, a new, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll find a new spicy chicken recipe for oh, you. Oh, good man. Right. There we go. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Now, it's always a pleasure talking to you. And people who want to find Movies in Focus, where can they go? Uh, moviesinfocus.com, um, at Movies in Focus on Twitter. And kind of everything that I'm up to is always mentioned there and kind of what I've been doing recently and who I've been talking to. Brilliant. Yeah. We right. aspire to speak to the people that you talk to. Yeah. Thank you, Niall. Well, thank it's you very pleasure. much. Thank Graham. You. Thank you. Time to wash that Mel t-shirt now. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Thanks, guys. And tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! (laughs) 